We've been studying Romans, and uh, we have a ways to go. Romans chapter 3 is a transition chapter. Uh, The beginning here, we're going to be into some kind of darkness where we talk about, uh, this this is Paul's continuing argument, how everyone needs God, how apart from Christ, we're lost. Let's start in verse 1 of chapter 3. What advantage then hath the Jew, or what profit is there of circumcision? Much in every way. Chiefly, because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. Now the oracles of God are an interesting thing. If we look in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, and actually I'm going to start at verse 5 here just to give you some background because context is important. Verse 5, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 5. Behold, I have taught you statutes and judgments, even as the Lord my God commanded me, that ye should do so in the land, whether ye go to possess it. Talking about the promised land. Behold, I have, uh, sorry, keep therefore and do them. For this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations. This is something that sometimes we might miss. The sight of the nations. The information, the insight, the, the relationship with God that the Hebrews were given was given to them to be shown. It was given to them to set an example. It was given to them so that other people in other nations would seek after that wonderful God the Hebrews had. Your understanding in the sight of the nations, which shall hear all these statutes and say... Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what nation is there so great who hath God so nigh unto them as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon him for? What a picture. And what nation is there so great that hath statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law which I set before you this day? Now, you know, I preach against law a lot. That doesn't mean the law is not perfect, righteous, and good. And we're going to see that in Romans. Paul clarifies that whole argument. It doesn't mean that the law is bad. It means that the law doesn't apply to you today. But the law was so perfect, so good, that it was a shining example to the nations. The nations is everybody who was not Hebrew. Everybody who was not Israelite. So they had the oracles of God. Back in Romans chapter 3, verse, verse 3. For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? What this is saying here is that God remains faithful to His promises whether people believe it or not. I think that's an important point. God keeps His promises. Arthur talked a little bit about this in Sunday school this morning. This idea that God made this promise about the seed that would bruise the head of the serpent. And so along comes Cain and kills Abel, who is that seed. But then God raises up Seth. And it's an example of how God shows that he will keep his promises. And Abraham is another example and so on. And we talked about several of those this morning. In 2 Timothy 2.13, and I'll actually start here in 11, 2 Timothy 2.11, It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. 
We've talked about this idea. You are crucified and raised with Christ. If we suffer, we shall also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He will also deny us. This is not talking about believers who deny Christ. This is talking about unbelievers. That's how you deny Christ. You don't believe. You choose not to agree with God. That's denying God. Verse 13, If we believe not, yet He abideth faithful. He cannot deny Himself. You see it? God keeps His promises whether we believe or not. God keeps His promises. He is faithful whether we are faithful or faithless. Verse 4 back in Romans chapter 3. What if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid. Yea, let God be true and every man a liar as it is written that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings and mightest overcome when thou art judged. The word for man, every man a liar, the word for man there is anthropos. It's all, it's people. It doesn't mean men only. That's <laughs> what my point is. Let God be true, but every man a liar. As it is written, God defines truth. Whatever God says, that's true. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's because whatever God is, whatever God says, these are the things that are true. So every, let God be true and every man a liar. As it is written in Psalm 51, we find 51 in chapter 4, or 51 in verse 4. This is David talking after he has committed sin with Bathsheba. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. In other words, that's, and that's where this quote is taken from in here, where it is written that you might be justified in your sayings and might overcome or prevail when you're judging, when, when thou art judged. So he's saying that God is true. doesn't matter what people say. God is true. And therefore, God is a righteous judge. Because God is truth. Because God, what God says is truth. Whatever God judges, He judges truly. Verse 5, Romans chapter 3 again. But if our unrighteousness commend or brings out or shows more clearly the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous who takes vengeance? And Paul says, I speak as a man, as a person. In other words, this is the argument that people might make. That God is unfair because... If, what, if, if our disobedience shows His righteousness more clearly, then how can He possibly judge us and be fair about it? Isn't that, isn't that unrighteous of God? God forbid, for then how shall God judge the world? But you see, only God can judge the world because only God is righteous. Only God is holy. Only God is truth itself. Only God is fully loving. Last week we talked about this idea that, that God is the one in whom we make our boast. Verse 7, For if the truth of God has more abounded through my lie unto His glory, why yet am I also judged as a sinner? And not, rather, as we be slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come, whose damnation is just. Now, I wanted to pause here because... This idea that uh, the teaching of Paul, people were going around and saying, he's teaching, let us do evil that good may come. Well, we, we know that that comes from 
uh, him preaching grace without law. Because people begin to think, oh, if there's no law, then I can just do whatever I want. And what I want is all this terrible stuff. When in fact, we realize that that's not the case. We have a new heart and, our, and what we want is to do what's right. And if we look in Romans 5.20, we're going to just jump ahead a little bit. We'll get to this in a while. But in verse, five, uh, verse 20 of chapter 5, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. So you can kind of see where that's coming from, can't you? But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. So, so you can kind of see where that argument comes from. With Paul teaching things like this, if he's teaching that sin abounds and therefore grace abounds more, then shouldn't we sin so that good will come out of it? That's where the argument comes from. And the answer is, of course not, because we have a new heart. We want what God wants. We are righteous at the core of our being, and righteous people just don't act that way. It's not what they want. It's not who they are. So basically, this is an interesting thing here. There's a, a Bible translation called The Message. Some of you may have heard about it. It's very new, uh, but it's an interesting one. And it says in here, the more evil we do, the more good God does. So let's just do the evil. <laughs> you know, that's the argument that these folks were making. Right? The more evil we do, the more good God does. And it comes right out of that passage in Romans 5.20. And you can see it again in Romans 6.1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? This is Paul actually asking that exact question. And then he says the very next thing, God forbid, how can we who are dead to sin live any longer in it? Do you see it? It's a change of who you are. It's that new creation. Romans 3, verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? No, in no way, no wise. For we have proved, both Jews and Gentiles, that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. Nobody is righteous. We've been over this topic a lot of times that no matter what we do, we can never meet that standard of perfection we can never be perfect as our father in heaven is perfect we can never be holy we can never be righteous on our own power we see it over and over again in the beginning of genesis don't we in the study we're doing in sunday school that that you cannot do this on your own it's not that way and and yet man is trying through the line of cain we see them building their society and and saying i'll take vengeance more and i'll you know, I'll protect myself, but it doesn't work. Verse 11, there is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. So he says it again. There's just nobody who is righteous and who can stand up to the standard. Then he goes on to say more about how they are. Their throat, verse 13, is an open sepulcher. And they're, with their tongues... They have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. Peace is fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? And the way of peace they have not known. Verse 18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. They don't respect God for who He is. You know, a lot of times people say, well, I'm spiritual. You know, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not a Christian, but I'm spiritual. Or other people will say, 
God is God is this state of being or or God is a higher power or you know they have all kinds of different ways of thinking about God and what that is is man-made God it's it's something we devise in our mind that seems good to us but leads to destruction it's the it's this idea that we somehow can imagine what God is or who God is or how God is and, and that somehow then by working or by failing to do certain things or by self-deprivation or whatever we want to call it, we can, we can become God or we can become acceptable to God. This is no fear of God. We don't really respect who He is. That there is no one greater and can be no one greater. Verse 19, Now we know... That what things soever the law says, it says to them who are under the law. In, in the book of John, we see a couple of places where Jesus talks about this. I want to just stop right in the middle of that verse and say this. Uh, John 10, 34. John 10, 34. Jesus, uh, Jesus says this. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I said you are God's. And then... In John 15:25, but this comes to pass that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without cause. So Jesus talks about this being their law. He's talking about the Jewish people, the Hebrews, the Israelites. It's their law. It's the law that was given to them. So whatever things the law says, verse 19 of Romans 3, it says to them who are under the law, that'd be the Hebrews that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may be guilty before God. Now remember, we talked about how the Hebrews have the oracles of God and how the idea there was that, that this would shine out to the nations and the nations would look at them and say, wow, what a great God this much must be. We need to know this God. And, and when they came to know the law, they would see that this is an unattainable standard. And we are guilty before God. So we have no choice but to simply trust when He says He will provide a lamb. When He says He will provide a sacrifice, a, a Savior, a King, someone to come and rescue. And the idea was that the whole world would come to look for God because the world would see that they were guilty before God. Now we talked earlier when we looked in chapter 2 about the idea that those who didn't have the law have a conscience. And even the conscience begins to draw people in this direction of saying, I can't measure up, I can't measure up. This is why we try so hard to live an upright life. Because we keep trying to measure up, but in our heart we know we're failing. So we try harder because we can't get there. Eventually, we get to a point like the, the guy in the car in the parking lot where we're completely desperate and there's no way out. And all we can do is grab that lifeline and hold on. And it's that trust, that faith, that, okay, God said He's going to save me. I have to trust that that's the case or else I'm lost. That's really what it comes down to. That all the world may become guilty before God. Verse 20, Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. Why is that? Because by the law is the knowledge of sin. That's what the law is for. In Acts chapter 13 and verse 39, it says this, By him all that believe are justified 
Now get this part. This is so beautiful. This is Peter speaking. He's preaching. By Him, all that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Now Peter was a good Jew. You remember, Peter wasn't going to eat any of those unclean animals he saw on the sheet that came down in his vision, was he? Oh, nothing like that has ever entered my, my body, Lord. I'm not going to do, I, I do what you told me to do. And God said, don't call anything unclean that I've called clean. But here he is saying that the law can't justify people. So the deed by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified. Galatians 2.16 reminds us of the same thing. It says, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. So if you're wondering if that's the way, the answer is no. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by Him. Now, He didn't exist in the Old Testament days in terms of His human presence here on earth. And so we think, well, He was crucified 2,000 years ago. How does that work? Well, God lives outside time. In Romans, I'm sorry, in Revelation, we read a passage that says, the lamb slain before the foundation of the earth. Other biblical translations write that sentence out a little differently, and they talk about people whose names have been written from the foundation of the earth in the lamb's book of life. Either way, it was accomplished before the foundation of the earth because God lives outside time. And so all the people who lived before the cross were saved by trusting that God's promise would be true. We are saved by looking back and saying God has fulfilled His promise. We believe that, and that's what saves us. We believe that Christ is our salvation. So some believed by looking forward. We believe by looking back, but it's the same act. It's the same blood that does the cleansing. It's the same propitiation, fully satisfying sacrifice on both sides of the cross. In Titus 3, 5, I'll read 4 and 5. But after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, that would be Jesus, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by, this, by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So it's all about Jesus from first to last. So the situation has been very bleak up until this point in Romans. We've been talking about sinfulness and what is going on in the world and how there's nothing for people to hang on to. There's, there's no hope. The situation is bleak. It kind of reminds me of Good Friday, but Sunday's coming. The situation is bleak, but God. That's kind of the message of the Bible, isn't it? Verse 21, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. In Philippians 3.9 we find this. and um, I'll back up to 8 just so you get the sentence here uh, into 8 a little bit. I count all things but loss for the excellency of knowledge of Christ 
Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Now verse 9, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by the faith, by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. You know, it's not a righteousness of the law, he says. It's the, through the faith of Christ. That of there, it's not that we're relying on Christ's faith directly. It's the faith that comes from Christ. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, It is by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. That's what we're talking about here. It's the faith that comes from God. Now the faith of Christ is what allowed Christ to be our perfect sacrifice, for sure. He walked by faith when he walked on the earth. Okay, back in Romans 3, so this law was witnessed by the law and the prophets. Verse 22, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall come short of the glory of God. So it's on all who believe and all of us have sinned. All have come short. Verse 24, being justified freely by his grace. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. Now again in Titus chapter 3, starting at verse 4, but I read that earlier, but after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we've done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed upon us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. And we're being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. It all ties together with everything that Paul has been saying Back in Romans 3, verse 25. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood. This propitiation, I've talked about this word before. It's the only word in English that really means what this word means. It means a fully satisfying sacrifice. It satisfies in every way. It pays the price. It, It... It satisfies the debt. It erases the debt. It takes away the sin. It doesn't just cover the sin. Do you see it? The blood of bulls and goats can never take away sin. The blood of bulls and goats covered sin for a time. They atoned. The day of atonement. That's what was happening. But Christ propitiates. Takes away the sin. He is a fully satisfying sacrifice. Which is why it's once for all doesn't have to be done over and over because his blood fully satisfies. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. This is where your faith lies. Not in a book, not in a teacher, not in some ritual, not in a procedure like baptism or communion. It lays in the blood of Jesus Christ. To declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. In other words, God held off punishing sins until 
the sacrifice had taken place. Now, you've got to remember that we're looking at this through a lens of humanity. We live inside time. We are in a temporal existence. So for us, it happened at a certain point of time. And we think, what happened to all those people before? God had forbearance within the confines of time about those people. But the act went both directions. It, it, it covered things in human history on both ends both before and after the cross, because God is outside time. God has nothing to do with time, per se. So, and uh, I think we'll find some more good news there. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Paul having written the book of Romans, which is such a wonderful, organized, logical argument for exactly what you've laid out for us in the new covenant. We pray that you would help us to understand it and to see it clearly, that we would, that we would know you more deeply through it, that we would come to, to truly understand the freedom that you've given to us and that we would walk in it and other people would be blessed because of it. We thank you for the beautiful weather we're having. We pray for those who, who are in need who are ill, uh, those who can't be with us. And we pray that you'll continue to enlighten those of us who are here to see your word and to see you for who you are. May we grow in grace and in the knowledge of you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.